Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name's Dave Corna, and I'm delighted to be here this afternoon. Before we even begin this message, I just want to thank all of those behind the scenes that are making this, this production go this afternoon. There are many people. Let's hear it for the singers here. And our liturgist is my former roommate, Paul Draper. That's a different day and a different story, but we did, 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 did room together in North Carolina one time when we took, uh, took the kids to Mountaintop. So always good to be back at Bethany where my wife, uh, Bonnie, and I uh, have been members here for a long, long time. You know, Bethany's really special to me. Bethany is where I answered my call. And... Uh, and it's always been and always will be a special place in my heart. For those who don't know me, I'm ordained. I'm Deacon Dave. I'm Chaplain Dave. I'm Reverend Dave. And I'm appointed by the bishop to serve at Seton Hospital in Round Rock. And I've been there now. I'm in year number eight and uh, made it through COVID. We were essential along with Twin Liquors. And I was grateful for that. <laughs> Never missed a paycheck. Um, and, and somebody always asks me, how's, how, how's the hospital now? Well, we're busy. We're busy because there's a lot of people in Central Texas now and a lot of people that are sick. But as far as the COVID goes, it seems to have simmered down and flown away for a bit. So let's hope it stays that way. You know, this Saturday service is also pretty special to me that I used to bring my dad here. And uh, he was at a nursing facility not too far from here and, and uh I tried to take him to the 930 service because that was a good time. But he, when, one day he looked at me, he said, Dave, I, I can't go to that 930 service anymore. I said, well, why is that, Dad? And he said, well, he said, uh, I can't take the rock band. I said, okay, well, if you can't take the rock band, we'll go to 11. He said, I can't go to 11. I said, well, why can't you go to 11? He said, I'll be the last one back. There'll be no prime rib left for dinner. So we decided to come on Saturdays. And then... We would do the 5 o'clock service on Saturday, and then we'd go to Jimmy's, Jimmy's up the street and have something to eat before we went back to the nursing home and, and uh, always brought a pie with us for the, for the nurses. So uh, I always, always appreciate this, this 5 o'clock hour. You know, I never miss church. Uh, I must tell you a story that I, I live in Williamson County in Round Rock now. I'm only a mile and a half from the hospital, my, my commute on is five minutes unless it's a bad day. I hit one traffic light and it's six and a half minutes then. It's really good. My wife's retired. She has more friends than she ever had in her life. And, and if I'm ever looking for her, I know where she's at. She's at the lodge. You know, that's it. She's at the lodge. She's either doing pound swimming or Tai Chi. Uh, she also is doing tap dancing and I'm, I'm waiting for the recital, but it hasn't come yet. But I don't miss church, and I, and I often, you know, work sometimes, I have to work weekends at the hospital, and I worked for Hospice Austin for a while, and so on one particular day, we had just moved out there, and, and I was going to miss worship on Sunday because I had an obligation, and so I said to her, I said, well, I'm going to go find a church on Saturday afternoon, there's a couple here, St. John Vianney does a 5.30 service, and Celebration Church does a 5 o'clock service. I said, would you like to go? She said, no, that's all right. I said, Okay. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to go to this celebration church up here. It's a huge church in, 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 uh, in Georgetown and in, in Round Rock, and even some of the hospital people go there. So I'll, I've met Pastor Joe and his wife, and so I'm like, well, I'll just go to that. So it was a hot July afternoon. I'll never forget that. It was about 105 degrees, it felt like. 
I got there at five minutes to five. I got out of my car, I ran inside. The air conditioner was working great. I got in there, I looked in. There were like 400 people at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So I walked down and I didn't want to go all the way to the front, but I didn't want to sit in the back either. So I went sort of midway and I saw Pastor Joe and I saw his wife and I said, well, that's good. And I said, well, there they go. And then Pastor Joe went upstairs, three songs, similar to what we just did, three songs. Once the songs were over, they came up with a five-gallon bucket from Home Depot, started passing that around for everybody to put their money in, came back with that. They prayed over the money, and next thing you know, Pastor Joe gets up there. I said, looked at my watch. It's 520. I said, we're in great shape. We're right on time. And he started to preach. And out of 20 minutes to 7, he stopped. And I couldn't leave then because Pastor Joe knows me and I know him. So I had to sit there. We had to do one more song. Then we had to do the benediction. And then, by golly, we were out of there. And I ran as fast as I could to my car. I got in my car. I drove immediately home, come screaming into the driveway. I got inside. My wife said, where were you? I said, I was at church. She said, don't you lie to me. You were at that damn hospital. I know you were. No, honey, I wasn't. But anyways, I'm cognizant of the long hour here, so I've got hard stops, and Tony Romo's going to keep me straight back there, and we'll make sure we get out of here before 20 minutes to 7, at least a quarter to. Well, you know, we are in Lent, and, and I've got my slides here somewhere. We are in Lent, and, and, and you know, today, I, Paul, I thought your prayer was just outstanding. Thank you so much for that. And, and uh, as we're in this period of Lent, you know, Lent is, is, is sort of like a race. You know, it's long. These 40 days are a long time in Lent. And, and uh, you know, I'm a runner. So Lent sort of reminds me of a long-distance run in that when you start, when you get to the race, you know, here's the Austin Marathon and Half Marathon. There are thousands of people there. I think there were 17,000 runners this year. And then you've got all these fans on the side and everything. So when you get to that starting line, i got to tell you, you're pretty juiced up. You're feeling really good. Sort of like I felt determined on Ash Wednesday. I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready for Lent. Bring it. I'm giving up potato chips and clam dip. And also, I'm going to do my devotionals. And I'm going to try to draw closer to God. But as time goes on, you know, the first two miles of a race... The fans are around still, and the crowd, the, the runners are close together, but then they start to thin out. And then you get to a point in that race where they sometimes refer to it in runner's jargon as hitting the wall. And, uh, you know, you, 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 you run out of glucose and you run out of things. You're trying to do, take nutrition as you're going along. But, you know, here might be an example of the wall. And I sometimes feel like that's where we're at right now because we are halfway through Lent. You know, that's halfway between somewhere and nowhere. That's in a, in, a, in a half marathon. You're six and a half miles in, but you're not there yet, and you got to keep going. And that's what we have to do in Lent. So we've got to stay focused and be focused on Lent. But, but the reward when we get to Easter and Easter Sunday, uh, this is what we feel like right here when you're crossing that finish line. So uh, let us use this time to draw closer and... Uh, and, and make sure that, that, that we're focused on God and deepening our relationship with Him. Now today we're going to talk in the characters about, uh, in the story, namely uh, from Mark, and we're going to talk about 
As the slide said, we're going to talk about Jesus, Barabbas, and Pilate. And I don't know, you know, you, those names may be familiar to you, certainly, certainly Jesus is, but we'll expend a little bit of time of, uh, to, to see how the events unfolded and w- what role they played in it. So let us pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us at this time as we hear your words, fill our hearts, fill the hearts of the faithful that are gathered here, and fill our hearts with your word. Inspire us, dear God, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So this scripture, we're staying in the book of Mark, and we are... Verse, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, but I'm going to break them down just a little bit here and take it in shorter spots. But let us read here. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of re- the religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. So the first character I want to look at today is Pilate. You know, what do we know about Pilate? What do we know about Pilate? Well, Pilate was the governor in Judea, um, he was the governor in Judea, and he, was, he governed for approximately 10 years. And, you know, Judea was not necessarily a garden spot. His role there was to be more of a policeman and the judicial person there than a military leader. I mean, frankly, you could boil it down to keep the peace, gather the taxes, and send them back to Rome. That's what his role was. But he did have a working relationship with the Sanhedrin, the higher council, and the priest. So it was, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, you keep the peace, I'll support you, that type of give-and-take relationship. He governed for 10 years, but he was replaced after an uprising occurred, and his actions resulted in the death of 6,000 Samaritans later on. You know, that's it. Once the uprising got out, that's it. Rome said, you're out, we've got to report it. What else do we know? We know that he had a wife. You know, she's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. She had a dream, and she tells, in the book of Matthew it's written, she tells her husband, have nothing to do with this man, Jesus, for I have dreamt of him. Okay? And, and uh, it's not in Mark that we're reading from today, but it is in Matthew. He reportedly had more concern for himself than for others people, other people. But I want to propose to you that maybe, just maybe, we're a little too harsh on Pilate. Because if we look at the scripture that we read, he, I do believe he was trying to seek the truth. I do believe he was asking Jesus, what are you doing? These people are giving you all these charges. Why are you not defending yourself? Why are you not saying anything? So perhaps, just perhaps, we're a little too harsh on him.
We continue on. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover to celebrate during the Passover celebration to release one of the prisoners. And at that time, one of the revolution, excuse me, any, anyone that the people requested, one of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Pilate said, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? For he realized now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. Well, as we go forward, who was Barabbas? You know, we know he was a prisoner. We know he was a revolutionary. He was widely known in the territory. He wasn't somebody they didn't know. The crowd actually asked for him. So he was known in the community. He was admired by the Jews. And the reason the Jews admired him was they saw that he would stand up to Rome, that he would fight on their behalf, that he would, he would represent them and, in effect, try to overthrow them. You know, throughout time we see people like this who are desperately curious or even attached to notorious people, people who will stand up against authority. That usually sometimes tracks a reaction. And some of those people will be followed just because they'll do it. I often heard someone say about certain politicians, well, he just says what I'm thinking. And, and, and he may not say it politely or, or, or she may not say it politely, but I hear people say to me, well, they're just saying out loud what I've been thinking. So we tend to track to people that we think will represent us and, and we'll, uh, we'll do that. But in doing so, we can see in our recent history where some people protest, pro, protested ills and crimes that had happened. We only have to go back as far as last summer with the George Floyd killing. That was horrible. And those people have been brought to justice now. But that sparked a reaction throughout America, wide reactions all across America. And some of them not only were protests, but they became violent protests. I can only think of some of the, the, the video footage and, and, and some of the stuff that happened here. Or how about the storming of the Capitol on January 6th last year? That was a protest that started because people felt that the election was not right. Something was hokey about it. And that group got together and said, we're going to storm the Capitol and protest. And then the protest, as so many did in Portland or Chicago or Seattle, got out of hand. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying you can see how this happens. So go back thousands, 2,000 years, and you see the protest that they were having with the Jews against the Roman Empire. And the Romans simply wanted Pilate to keep it cool, calm, and collective, collect the taxes, and let us keep doing what we're doing. Because Judea and Rome are very far away. So Barabbas, you know, I think it's just safe to say that Barabbas was one that ruled by the sword and sought his way in fame through violence. I should have shown you this. 
This was uh, my, my picture of what I thought Pilate looked like. Uh, distinguished, got the Roman outfit there, and a determined guy, strong jaw. And here was Barabbas, Barabbas in jail. But now we must go on to Jesus. Jesus was the Christ, which in Greek is the word Messiah. Jesus was countercultural. Jesus didn't live or rule by the sword like Barabbas did. Jesus showed us a new way to operate in the world by nonviolent ways and a nonviolent resistance towards authorities. Jesus wouldn't storm the Capitol. He wouldn't be burning courthouses in Seattle or Portland. Jesus showed us that good leaders are good servants to others. Jesus was what we would call a true servant leader, which if you're in the business world, you know every book you get says if you're going to be an effective leader, you better take care of your people, especially now unemployment's as low as it is and we need every good person we have here. So take care of them, serve them, be a servant leader. What else did Jesus do? He dedicated his life to serving the poor and outcast members of society. Not everybody's chasing after that group, but that's what Jesus did. Simply put, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. But, but with that approach, he actually was a threat to the Jewish leadership. I mean, if he went to these people and they started to follow him instead of following them, perhaps they wouldn't go to the synagogue. Perhaps they wouldn't go to worship at 5 o'clock on Saturday or 8 o'clock on Sunday or 11 o'clock on Sunday. Perhaps they would stop giving money. And if they did that, then perhaps their system would fall apart. So he was actually a threat to their way of life. Jesus appealed to the masses and the marginalized like sheep without a shepherd. As Isaiah told us, hundreds of years earlier, all of us like sheep have strayed away. Yet we have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, and he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. So again, you know, Jesus in his ministry and in his examples would often emulate what was put in the Old Testament in the original books of the Bible and the Torah. But as we move forward here, we finish up this scripture. But at this point, the leading priests, we're back to the story, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. 
So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Having said that, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Perhaps we can't start here. Perhaps we can't stop here, rather. I mean, I really believe we talked about Pilate, we talked about Barabbas, and we talked about Jesus. But what I want to focus on is what about the crowd? Whose faces were in the crowd? I believe it was a relatively small crowd, if you ask me. I think it was early in the morning, probably around 6 a.m., The crowd is often assumed to be Jews. However, I don't believe they were all Jews because the majority of the Jews, the majority of the people saw Jesus and thought of him as a prophet speaking on God's behalf. He was a healer and he had proved this with his miracles. I believe some people in the crowd were planted there by those religious leaders who were threatened. It's not uncommon for us, if, if you do a lot of public speaking or anything else, you'll seek someone out that you know might be willing to say something, and you see them before him and sort of plant them in the crowd so that when it comes time for us to have participation, we'll have some people there. So I believe they planted some people there just to stir things up and support their allegations. You know, think about it. In Holy Week, maybe perhaps some of those were the money changers and the animal sellers that Jesus threw out of the temple. They might have been pretty fired up. Just took, threw me out, hurt my income and did that. Perhaps some of the people in the crowd that morning were the same people who on Sunday, Palm Sunday, had hailed him as Messiah on his triumphant march into the city. The same people that shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. You know, these zealots were dissatisfied. We have short attention spans. They had great hope on the Sunday coming in, and nothing happened. And here we were on Friday. So now, maybe they're there. Because Jesus didn't fight by the sword, they were disappointed. Because he didn't try to overthrow the Roman Empire, they were disappointed. Because he didn't raise an army, they were disappointed. They now turned on him and called him another wannabe. Perhaps some of the crowd were simply rabble-rousers who liked to come see violent things. There's a certain percentage of people go to NASCAR just to see the car wrecks. So, notoriously, over time, whenever there was a public hanging or a crucifixion or whatever, maybe some were there and thought they could do that. But they were all sheep, in my mind, that had gone astray. All had gone astray. You know what, friends? We are really not that different. We're not that different 2,000 years later. I mean, we have crowds today. We have crowds today. Maybe we have crowds today. 
I must tell you that. You know, my friend, my friend that helps with the slides here is just a great Dallas Cowboy fan. So I thought we might have a UT or an Aggie up there. No way. This is Cowboy Stadium with Troy Aikman, his favorite player, and Michael Irvin. That's the last time they were good. But anyway, we do have crowds. We do have crowds today, and we get together, and it's a joyous and fun occasion when we do those things for sporting events, etc. Not all crowds are bad. We, too, have crowds that are in protest. Here's the protest. Maybe it's one of those ones from last summer that we talked about. In Portland, Seattle, or Austin last summer. Protesters who justified their behavior by claiming that what was right according to their cause or in response to another crime. See, we too choose leaders who believe we believe will stand up for us, who will fight for us over the leader who says they will not fight or who want to serve the poor or want to show love and grace in all that they do. You know, the leader who campaigns on turning the other cheek in this day and age, probably not going to get elected because it doesn't resonate with the larger masses in our world. However, that's exactly what Jesus preached and what he demands of us as followers. That trial, that history-changing day in our faith story, we witnessed the pilot who knew that he was being duped. He knew that there was no credibility to those charges. But we saw a pilot that washed his hands before the crowd in an attempt to absolve himself. We saw a pilot that was caught up in a situation that even with his status as governor and the judicial person, he didn't have any authority and control over this situation. We saw Barabbas who was freed by the crowd who was selfish and wanted someone to take up the sword for them. Nothing else I can say except it was Barabbas' lucky day. The fact is, there was a need for Jesus to die. There was a need for Jesus to die. Now some think that God is punishing Jesus. That's not the case. It's not uncommon for all of us who are parents to wish that we could, when one of our children or one of our loved ones is in trouble, that we couldn't take their place, that we couldn't, if they had a disease or an illness, I wish it was me. If I could take their cancer, I would do that. But see, we can't do that. We don't have that ability to do that. But God did. And God's the only one that could. And don't forget that in the triune, thinking that we embrace, God is Jesus. And he had to do this to fulfill what was written. I go back to Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. 
And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This was God's great act of love for us. So I challenge you now that you must ask yourself and I must ask myself, who would you have chosen? Would have you chosen to save Barabbas or Jesus? And friends, we need to ask that every single day. That's what Jesus calls us to ponder. And that's why the church collectively is so important The world has its own drumbeat in society. Norms seem to change like the wind. What doesn't change, what is constant, is God's word. During Lent and beyond, we must remain steadfast, grounded in scriptures. They have and will continue to guide us. And as Paul shares with us in his letter to the Romans, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Now, here's another crowd, our delightful crowd. Through the church and through our faith and through the strength we gain from each other, we can stand up to crowds. We can live as Jesus did and as he calls us to live. And we can benefit from a better way. We can model it for our brothers and sisters and the lost sheep. Amen? Amen. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we've heard your word today. We've read your scriptures today, dear God. They guide us. They guide our steps and our path. May this hour be one that nurtures us, lifts us up, and prepares us for the weeks, days, months, and years ahead. May we be shining lights and examples of what church community is about and what people of faith are. May we learn to turn the other cheek. We ask this in your name. Amen.